good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow and I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church. What you are about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of the word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to... Uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. But before we get there, um, it is perhaps a peculiar place to be, to be teaching on an office that, uh, that you hold. Um, and so I wanted to read you something. About five years ago, six years ago, uh, I was in preaching class. And in preaching class, me and two of my dear brothers decided we were going to preach through a book of the Bible together as opposed to just taking uh, passages and one-shotting them. We wanted to walk through a book. And so we essentially cast lots for what text we were going to be given in that book. And uh, I landed on 1 Timothy chapter 3 which means that I had the opportunity to preach this particular text to a group of pastors uh, or a group of men who were pursuing the office of pastor or elder. And as I did that, there was something unique that shifted in me because the office of elder is one that is often misunderstood. Perhaps it is that it is a position of power or authority. Perhaps it is that you have experienced at some point in your life, a pastor who is tyrannical or a pastor who is not loving or something of that nature. But the scripture really does lay out qualifications that help us understand these things in a way that the church of God will be governed and governed rightly. Um, and I wanted to read this to you because this is really where, uh, where th- the moment of understanding what an elder is shifted for me. Because I grew up uh, in a Southern Baptist church where pretty much everyone who had a desire to go into ministry, there was a language that we would use. And it was, I've surrendered to the call of pastor. And it's almost as if uh, the call of pastor has you at gunpoint and you better give in before it kills you. Um, And that's not at all what we see in the pages of Holy Writ. When we see and examine what Paul sets forth about the desire to be a pastor or an elder, It is not in any way something uh, that's holding one captive. It is something that is a desire and a love. And I want to read to you a brief excerpt of the sermon that I wrote for uh, a group of pastors. And it's it's in particularly about these first couple of words in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I wrote this. In our text, Paul uses two words to describe the called pastor feeling toward his office. The first of which is aspire. The word means to strive for something. At times it is even used to describe cravings. You see, the office is not something to be dreaded, but for those who are called, it is to be craved like the sweetest of treats. For that is indeed what it is. We aspire to the office because we know that from it lies a great and grand opportunity to serve the Lord in a unique way. Yes, we are called, but our calling should be one that is accepted with the greatest of glee. We are called of God, so let us aspire, let us strive for the office to which we have been called. Not only are we to strive, but we are to desire the office. Perhaps those words seem synonymous. However, there are slight differences of which we should take notice. The word that is translated desire in this verse is also translated to long for. The word desire in the English language has become a weak word. We desire all kinds of things. We desire the newest piece of technology. We desire a stake and we desire to graduate. I wrote this in my senior year. While all of these might be true, 
We might desire those things, but we do not long for them. Longing is the groom whose sleep eludes him because he's, he anxiously awaits his fiancee becoming his bride. Longing is the eighth, eighth month of your wife's pregnancy when you feel as though your heart will shatter if you don't get to see your newborn child right then. Longing is the pastor who cannot wait to wake up the next morning to train, equip, and encourage the saints. See, friends, we are not aspiring to an office or a title, but a responsibility. Titles mean very little in our day. There are millions of men who have the title as father. They have never once fulfilled the responsibility of one. So brothers, we do not aspire to a title, but to a task. The text says quite clearly, we desire, we aspire to a noble task. Many times when we look at the scriptures, we look to see what it includes. For instance, in Ephesians 5, we see some of the responsibilities of a husband. Or in Proverbs 31, we see many attributes of a wife of noble character. And at other times, it is important to see what is excluded by those statements. Here we must look and see what is excluded. We are called to a noble task. This means that we do not pursue fame, fortune, or more authority than, than that which God has already given us. Perhaps the most treacherous waters of the church is the pastor that desires nothing more than theological prominence. He longs for people to listen to his sermons and read his books. This is not the reason we are called. This is not the task we are called to. Others desire to be seen by millions and be recognized on the streets much like men of fame would be. Some desire the authority of offices that no longer exist and feel as though they have authority over not only their own church, but other churches. We desire a noble task, an honorable task. We desire the task of a shepherd. Our hearts should long for nothing more than to love, protect, and feed the sheep of God. You see, we desire a task. Let me say that again. We desire a task. We are workmen. I feel the need for this emphasis because many believe, I dare say, many enter the pastorate because they feel it is an easy job. If it is an easy job, then friends, you are not doing it right. Shepherds keep watch on the sheep. They know them by name. They know when they are missing and search until they are found and bring them back into the fold. They fight off bears and wolves and lions for they know their sheep hold the highest value to the king of that land. Yes, overseers are workmen of the most noble of tasks. When we consider the office of elder, it is an office that God has given to the church, particularly for the church's protection and flourishing. It has been often overlooked and perhaps it is that it has been often made to be a professional task. It is a laborious task, it is a good task, but it is not a professional task. It is a dirty task, it is a lovely task. And it perhaps is one of the greatest ways that God has given gifts to the church of God. And I wanna read to you the sermon in a sentence before we go any further. The sermon of sentence says this, elders are a gift to the church for her protection and flourishing. I wanna to read to you Ephesians 4, starting in verse 10, or verse 11 and making our way to, through verse 12. And it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, when we come to this, and the reason that we're gonna spend a whole day looking at this office is because it seems as though it is vitally important to the health of a local church. When we understand and understand rightly that the elders are given to shepherd and to cause to flourish the body of Christ, and not just in a disconnected way, but instead in an intimate way of knowing the flock of God that is among them, 
then we can understand that this is important not only for our own flourishing, but for the flourishing of the church of God among the nations. And so with that being said, I would invite you to turn once again to 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We'll make our way through verse 7. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, that what you have before you is the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the Christian life. Indeed, it is truth with no mixture of error. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning aiming to pay special attention to the office that you have given to your church. Lord, may we see it and see it rightly. May we see it as good. May we see it as lovely. May we see it as a gift to the church. And may, they, may those who hold that office see it as the highest of task and labors, but may it always be sweet to them. Lord, may it always be a joy to be an elder in the congregations that you've given. Lord, may it always be a joy to aim to serve the chief shepherd by being an under shepherd. It's in the name of Christ and through his blood we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, what I'd like to do is break this down into three particular sections. Um, my hope is that after this, we'll have a pretty full orbed view of what we mean when we say elder. And so for instance, we're gonna deal with the qualifications that distinguish a man to the, to the office of elder. We're gonna look specifically at the task of an elder. And then I want to briefly look at the relationship between the congregation and the elder. I think all of these things are vitally important so that we can understand how to function inside of the body that we are a part of. So the first thing that I want to do is walk us through the qualifications of an elder. And, and just before I get there, I, I think Blake made an excellent point last week when he argued that deacons serve a unique role of serving the church. And his whole premise is that, or his whole premise was that as deacons serve the church, they are essentially working out a means of service that Christ has done for the church. When we look particularly at passages like John chapter 13, where Jesus stoops down and washes the feet of, the, uh, of his apostles, we see the service of Christ. We see that he came to serve. In a very similar way, God has given elders to the church to fulfill a ministry of Christ to the body. That is by teaching and preaching. That is by exhorting, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so what we want to do is understand why these things are so vitally important. And if they are so vitally important, what are these qualifications and how do we know that they are met? And so a question I want to ask before we look into the qualifications is why must we be so thorough? I mean, you read through this and there's really no qualifications aside from being a born again believer of being a member of the local church. But when we look at passages like 1 Timothy chapter three, we see not only qualifications for elders, but also qualifications for deacons. Why is it so important that these qualifications are not only set forth by Paul, but they are also met by the men who hold these offices? And I'm telling you, I can think of no greater recipe for disaster. I would argue it's even laid out in this passage 
that having men fill the role of elder while not being required to meet the qualifications. It is, it is an invitation as we'll see here in a moment. And so why is it so important that the men who hold the office of elder meet the qualifications set forth? First, as revealed in verses one through seven, the elder is to be a teacher of the household of God. Can you imagine anything more fearful than one who has not been tested and tried by one who does not know his Bible standing up here and proclaiming something over you other than the word of God? May it never be so. If we are to have faithful elders, they must know their Bibles. Why? Because they are teachers of the household of God. What is it that we are called to proclaim? It's rather clear. The word is preached, preach the word. It excludes everything else. And so we do not look to worldly wisdom or intellect. We, li- we look to see, do they know their Bibles? We'll see that a little bit more uh, coming up. Secondly, the elder is to be a manager of the household of God. If you look at verse four, it says, he must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? Why must we be thorough? Because these men will preach and teach and also manage the households of God. It is important that they are tested and tried. It is important that they manage their own households well. But lastly, and I think really most importantly, if you look at verses six and seven, there's a common theme that runs throughout it. It says at the very end of verse six, it says that he may not become puffed up and and conceited lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. In verse seven, it says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Why is it that these qualifications must be taken seriously? Because brothers and sisters, when the church of God takes the qualifications for elders seriously, we are aiming to ward off attacks of the enemy. When we do not take them seriously, when we do not aim to be faithful to the qualifications that God has set forth for elders, we are essentially inviting the attacks of the enemy. It is that simple. And so why are we thorough? Because we love the bride of Christ, because we love the groom. Since we love the groom, we want to see the bride protected, cared for, and loved. And so why are these things so important? Because we want to protect the bride. Now, that leads us into the qualifications themselves. And some of them are repeated from last week. Blake broke, uh, broke through or worked through a couple of uh, qualifications for deacons that are, that are parallel with elders. But I want to take a couple that I think are really, really important in our day and time. First, we see that he is not to be quarrelsome. Now, this is really important, especially in the world of social media, where everything is essentially a quarrel now. Why is it that he must not be given to brawling? Why must he not be a brawler? Because brothers and sisters, he has a task before him and that task is managing the household of faith. And if he is busy fighting every external battle, then he will not see the ones that occur within. Because there is a vast distinction here. This is not the language of be a coward. And this is often how I think this is taken. It is either one extreme or another. He is always fighting or he is never fighting. Brothers and sisters, an elder will fight. It will occur. The distinction is, does he go looking for it? Does he take joy in the fight? Is that his major premise? He wants to go to war. He wants to fight, which means anytime anything occurs on the horizon, he goes to war. That is not the mindset of an elder. An elder is one who loves peace, who desires to see it within his own family and within the church of God. But friends, part of longing for peace means that you must, you must make war sometimes. When you notice this language, and I'm telling you, I see this often, there is either the man who never stops fighting or the man who never does. Both are great disasters for the church. 
Calvin said it this way, there must, every pastor must have two voices, one to call the sheep and one to shoo the wolves. We must be people, elders must be people who are glad to go to war if it means to protect the sheep though are slow to go to war if it be for any unnecessary reasons. And all throughout the book of Titus and Timothy, there's this warning that Paul gives to them. He says, do not get entangled in genealogies and philosophies. I think perhaps one of the clearest ways we can know if an elder is one who is quarreling or if, or if he is one who is defending the sheep is, his, is, is he arguing biblically or is he arguing based upon genealogies and philosophies and just longing to get into a fight? We must be men who defend the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This does not make us brawlers. This makes us shepherds. When you see the shepherd wage war, it is always to protect the flock of God. Yes, he is glad to kill bear and lion and wolf because it means that the sheep, the ones that are most valuable in the land to the king of glory are protected. And so they must not be brawlers, but they must not be cowards either. He is not to be violent, but gentle. And I think every man understands this. There is, I think, a beauty in the strength of a man's hand. Certainly his intention is to use that hand in a gentle and kind way when you see him deal with his family. There is nothing more lovely than watching men who you know are strong and powerful and able to defend deal so gently with those who are theirs. Brothers and sisters, this is what this means. When he is not violent, but gentle, it means that he is gentle specifically to those who belong to him, that those who belong to Christ, specific, specifically in the role of elder. They long to be gentle. And in this, we see essentially an embodiment of our Lord, both when we look at not to be quarrelsome and also not to be violent, but gentle. Brothers and sisters, when we see our Lord deal with saints, he is so tender. He is so gentle with them. We see clearly a bruised reed he will not break. He is so kind and calm and he is able to correct in a gentle and loving way. But at the exact same time, anyone who would come to wage war against them, we see him be quite firm, glad to flip over tables inside of the temple, glad to call Pharisees whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. And so where should we look to see these qualifications embodied? We should look no further than our Lord. How did he conduct himself in the care of the sheep? How did he wage war for them? How did he fight for them to protect them? And how is it that he corrected them so gently, but so clearly? This is the aim of the elder, to not be quarreling, to not be violent, but gentle. But not only are these two of the qualifications, we also see that he is not to be a lover of money, which means that he cannot be wooed away from faithfulness with finances. He cannot be wooed away from faithfulness. Why is that? Because he sees what is real. He understands that there is something far greater than all the wealth that this world would offer, and that's faithfulness to Christ. His great joy is to be obedient to the commands that God has given him. And should anyone long to woo him away with a couple of dollars, he gladly says, by no means. Why would I bring offense to, my, to the Lord? Why would I sin against the one who has been so kind and gracious? He is not a lover of money. But then he is to manage his household well. And I love this one because when we see all throughout scripture, it just constantly seems to throw us back into the home. If you wanna see exactly how an elder will govern, watch them in their home. How do they treat their wife? Do they love her? Do they care for her? Do they long to see her grow and flourish? Is he glad to rebuke her when necessary? 
All of these things are seen in the loveliness of the home. Is the gospel evident there? Because brothers and sisters, if it is evident there, then you can rest quite, cl- quite comfortably that should he stand here, the gospel will be evident here as well. Because he loves the gospel. It has permeated not just the pulpit, but his home. And if it, is, if it has permeated his home, it is every area at that point. And so we see that he must manage his household well. This certainly means that he is not given to seeing his household flipped upside down by the smallest things. Instead, you see him also wage war to make sure that his household is a place of peace. He manages his household well. He is not to be a recent convert. He must be able to teach. Now, this one is vitally important because it's the major distinction between elder and deacon. Is he able to teach? Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean that you prefer somebody else's teaching over his. Because I can assure you, you can find better preachers than anyone here. They are on the internet. But that's not what it means to be qualified to teach. Does he teach? Does he gladly defend and proclaim the doctrines that Christ has set forth in the word? Is he able to teach them? Is he able to defend them? Does he gladly proclaim them? And if so then yes, perhaps it is that he is able to teach. It, does, it is not about ability. It is not so much about how, how excellent he is in his communication. It is about how faithful he is in his proclamation. Is he faithful to proclaim the word of God over anyone who comes in contact with him? Is he able to teach? Now, another thing that this does not mean is it does not mean that that man will stand here We see very clearly that there is a distinction in the task of elder. For instance, we find that there are those who labor in preaching and teaching and that they are worthy of double honor. Those men will stand here and proclaim the word over you. But that does not mean because someone does not long to stand here that he is not able to teach. We must understand that the men who are able to teach are the ones who never shrink back from gospel proclamation, who never say this doctrine is hard and wander away from it. It is the one who says that the word of God is true and I will gladly proclaim it at any and every opportunity. Is he able to teach? And then it comes to this, does he desire the office? And this is the one that is so overlooked. And it goes back to that language that I was thinking through when I was going into ministry. I had to write down as I applied for seminary, tell me about your call. And I'll be honest with you, I do not have a supernatural moment where God called me into ministry. I do not feel that. What I have is a desire, a love and an affection. And this is what must be reclaimed. Do the men who stand here, do the men who shepherd this congregation desire the task? And then secondly, what is the origin of that desire? Why is it that he desires that task? Because if you read through the qualifications, it essentially excludes anyone instantly who desires to make a name for themselves. It excludes anyone instantly who desires to be, to express his intellectual prowess. It excludes anyone who desires to be thought of well in the world. All of these men are instantly excluded. So who is it that truly does desire the task of overseer or elder or pastor all the while meeting the qualifications? It is those who love the church of God. When you look at this and you see this language as this saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, what is it that he is truly desiring? He is desiring a specific task of being a shepherd, of caring for the church of God. It is love that births his calling, only love. This is what gives way to the greatest of desires of the human heart. Is that not true? Love always gives way to the greatest desires and love always executes in a lovely way. 
Should we see someone who longs for the office because he has a desire for power or authority? Then he should be immediately disqualified. But if he comes because he loves the church of God, because he loves the bride of Christ, he saw that Jesus bought this bride with his blood and he said that it is my delight to shepherd her. You see, the reason that I read that is because when I read, when I wrote that, it was faceless to me. I wrote that in 2014. I was a 24-year-old who was in between ministry jobs, and all I thought about was the particular people that Christ bought with his blood. But what is so distinct now is it is not a desire to oversee a local body. It's a desire to love and to shepherd people that God has entrusted. It is a massive distinction So the questions that will always be asked and the desire, and it should be evident, Lord willing, it is evident in every single one of these elders who serve this congregation, and I think do so quite well, is that they love you. The whole premise is they desire to shepherd your soul because they love you and they love Christ who bought you with his blood. You see, it is not faceless. It is not nameless. The elder loves the people that Christ purchased. The elder loves the people that God has placed into the congregation that he is to shepherd, and thus he acts accordingly. And this is why we use passages like Ephesians chapter 4 to understand this, is because this is a means by which God gifts the church with men who will long to serve you like Christ would serve you. We do not do so perfectly. We are flawed but it is our eager aim to serve you the way that we believe Christ would. That means that we lovingly tell you, yes, repent and believe the gospel. It means we rebuke and that we train in righteousness. That is our task. And that does lead us to what are the particular tasks of an elder? It is our aim to serve. It is our aim and desire to preach the word to you, to shepherd your souls, to care for you. But what are the specific tasks set forth by scripture? Well, there's a plethora in particularly when we look at the pastoral epistles, Titus, 1 Timothy, and 2 Timothy. So let's see what Paul would say to young men as they were pursuing the office. Titus chapter 2 verse 1 says this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. It is very, very clear that the office of elder is to care for the church of God by preaching the word, by teaching sound doctrine. For some reason, there has been this great disconnect in pastoral ministry where we break off pastoring and preaching. These two things were never meant to be divorced from one another. And for some reason, I still hear people say, well, he's a great preacher, but he's not a great pastor. Or he's a great pastor, but he's not a great preacher. Brothers and sisters, if a man faithfully labors in this pulpit to preach the word over you, he is faithfully fulfilling his role. Should it be his aim to shepherd your soul? Absolutely. He should not be disconnected from you. And so as we look at this, we see that he is called to teach with a to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus 2.15 says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Not only is the pastor to be one who teaches, he is to be one who rebukes. Now, this is the one that everybody's kind of like, I don't like that one. But this is part of the shepherding ministry. Brothers and sisters, how many times has a brother or sister in the Lord rebuked you that led you to repentance? And in, in, in the midst of all of that, you grew in grace. You knew the Lord deeper. You understood that no matter how far you fall, that Christ's grace is indeed sufficient. The rebuking aspect of being a pastor is one that is vitally important. And should we not be willing to exercise this, then we invite all types of trouble into the church. 
We invite disunity. We invite discord, and it may it never be so. So the one who teaches is one who is supposed to teach and rebuke as well. Titus 1.9 says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and again, to rebuke those who contradict it. And then I love 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, because this is the great exclusion is what I like to call it. Preach the word. Everything else can go away. It is irrelevant altogether. The task of the elder is to preach the word. Yes, it is our aim to walk with you through difficulties, trials, and tribulations. Brothers and sisters, if we do that well, we do that by preaching the word to you. We long to see you grow in grace. We long to see you understand the word of God well. But then it goes on to say, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And then it says this, with complete patience and teaching. And once again, I would encourage you to look to our Lord. Isn't it not interesting that his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, he would think, and I would think often, there would be many who would rebuke her instantly. But what did we see him do? Was he not gracious and merciful with her? Was he not slow in teaching and training her? He was so meek. He exercised and demonstrated this far better than any man will ever do again. He taught her with complete patience, longing to see her grasp the beauties of what he proclaimed that he was the living water. And as we consider this, it is the role of elder to teach, but to do so with great patience, to care for the flock of God among you, to bring them along. Perhaps it is to even woo them with Christ. Not only is his task to teach and to defend, but it is also his task to demonstrate faithful living. I want you to notice two passages in particular. Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is fearful. That statement, follow me as I follow Christ that we see Paul say, you read those things and I'll be honest with you, every time I see this, I can give you a plethora of ways to not imitate my faith. But nonetheless, this is the call that God has given to the elders, that we should live in such a way that we can, that I, and what's so interesting is I can gladly point you to any of the elders inside of this congregation and I can say, imitate them. And I will know that your aim will then be to imitate Christ because they are faithful men who shepherd. So we are called to be ones who can, who, who when they are imitated is essentially imitate me as I imitate Christ. First Peter 5, 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The elder is to be an example to the flock of God. We should be able to say, imitate their faith. But then there is another portion, and I think this is vitally important to bring to our attention. And if we overlook it, I think we would be doing a disservice to the office. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 So the reason that this is so vitally important is because of all the commands that are given that we should be imitators of the elders' faith. We should follow them. We should see, are they following the Lord? Yes, then I need to long to, to imitate them. I want to be like them. I want to grow in grace the way that they grow in grace. But brothers and sisters, there are moral failings. And we see this often. And the reason that it's so destructive, not only to the church of God that they might be pastoring, but even to the church of God at large is because when an elder falls, it is something that should be incredibly abnormal, rare. First Timothy 5, 19 through 21 says this, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that, they, so, so that the rest may stand in fear. Hear me when I say this, elders are men. We are just men. And we struggle, we wage war against sin. And I would actually argue that one of the greatest ways that I imitate the other elders around me is I see things that are, that are often hidden and we do not aim to hide them here. 
Your elders need Christ. Perhaps, perhaps more than anybody else. We are in need of Christ. We are in need of his grace. We are in need of his mercy as we long to shepherd you as he would. There is no one here who needs Christ more than the men who serve you as shepherds. And we pray and we long that he might be formed in us in a way that we will serve you faithfully. And so when we think about the example, for far too long, the example of elder has been one of perfection. And brothers and sisters, that is nothing that we have to offer you. We offer you perfection only in Christ. And when you see us, know that we are feeble and frail and we are leaning on the everlasting arms just as you are. When we see this, I think that this means that the elder is to exemplify a faithful Christian life, which includes repentance, need of Christ in the gospel and love of the church. We should be the prime examples of these things. That means that we do not put you off at arm's length. That means that it is our great desire for you to be in our homes, for you to know us, for us to love you in any capacity that we can. But that means in close quarters Christianity, we will probably sin against you. And we ask you, we have the same need of Christ that you do. It is our aim to embody each of these qualifications, but we do not want to put you at arm's length where you do not know us. We are in need of Christ. We are in need of demonstrating even repentance to you. And so it is our demonstration of faithful living. But lastly, we see that in leading and guiding the church, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 3 says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. This goes back to that qualification of managing his household well. God has given elders to the church for the sake, for the purpose of guiding and leading her. Now, it is always our eager expectation and aim to lead as Christ would lead. That means that we find ourselves in the word of God. It is not our aim to lead this church anywhere the scriptures would not. And so as we aim to do this, we long to do it in a way that points us ever constantly to him who is our head. Perhaps it is the best way to summarize this is Hebrews chapter 12, where we see this great concept of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Your elders' great desire is to see you long for Christ. Our desire is to lead you to him because we are under shepherds and he is the true and better shepherd. He is the good shepherd that we read of in Psalm 23. He is the good shepherd that Blake read of in Ezekiel 34. He is the good shepherd that we see in John chapter 10. It is, we have no aim other than to point you to Christ, the one who is indeed the true and better shepherd. So those are the desires. Those are the tasks that are given to the elder. Now, I do want to point out this that there is a relationship between the congregation and the elder. But before I go there, I need us to understand that the elders are not disjointed from the congregation. We are a part of this body. We are sheep just like you are. And it is our aim to follow our true shepherd as we lead this congregation. We are not broken or disconnected from you. It is our great joy to be among you, to love you, to serve you, and secondly, to be served by you. And so the elders are not disconjointed from the congregation. We are a part of this body, but nonetheless, there is a relationship that God has set forth in his word about how we are to conduct ourselves. First, it is important for everyone to know that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Just to sober this a bit. Every elder will give an account of the names that God has placed in their congregation. This is sobering. I'm reminded of our Lord in John 10. He knows the name of his sheep. And brothers and sisters, this is something that it is by great aim to do. I never have a desire to stand before God on the day of judgment and not know the names of the people that God has entrusted to me. That is the desire of our elders to know you, to care for you, to love you as Christ would. 
And when we consider these realities, we will give an account. And I would pray that that would bring you some comfort. Because if we are not aiming to satisfy and to please you, we are aiming to satisfy and please Christ who has given us a charge over you, then we will aim to do that well because we love our groom and we long to please him. And so we will indeed give an account for every soul that God has placed in our midst. Secondly, the congregation is to submit to the elders in a way that leads to the elders' joy. I don't want to see us miss this. And I'll go ahead and confess to you, it's kind of strange to preach on submitting to your elders as one who is sitting in the office. But once again, what God has revealed, we will gladly proclaim. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Brothers and sisters, it should be your aim to gladly submit to your elders in a way that when we speak of you, we smile. It is a great joy of our soul to shepherd you because you make it a joy. This is clearly revealed in the word. Hebrews 13 is explicitly clear that those who are watching over your souls and will give an account, we should be able to do that task with great joy, that it should always be a thrill to us to be invited to your home because we know that we go and eat with our brother and sister in the Lord and certainly a member of the congregation that we shepherd. Not only that, we also see that the congregation is to respect and esteem elders highly in love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem them highly in love. Now the question can be asked, how do we do this? One of the greatest ways that you can do this for your elders is trust that it is our aim to please Christ. It is our aim to serve him and serve him faithfully. And if that be the case, I would plead with you, always assume that. Assume that it is our aim to please Christ, to make much of him and to bring glory to his name. Assume that it is our aim to shepherd you well because we will give an account of your soul to God. Assume that it is our aim to see this church flourish, to see the saints grow in grace. We have those measures that we speak of often that you would grow in knowledge of God and steadfast love and faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's not just an ism. We believe that. It is our desire to see you grow in the knowledge of God in steadfast love and in faithfulness in anything that we, that we do, though we may fail, is in that direction. That is our hope and that is our aim. Now, I do want to say at the same time, if the elders meet this quality, these qualifications that we've set forth, it really should not be a difficult task. If the elders meet each of the qualifications that are set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and following, it should be pretty easy to submit to the elders with joy. But I do want to make one simple point. It is possible that your elders meet every single one of those qualifications, that they are serving and leading you well, and you still are constantly in a scuff with them. And if that be the case, I would perhaps ask you to examine your soul and see if there be in you a spirit of rebellion. And I know that perhaps seems rather heavy, but the way that we relate to one another, the way that we love one another as a congregation and elders really does determine the health of the body. And so I would plead with you, if there be any spirit of rebellion in you, any qualm that you have with your elders or anything of that nature, that you would come to us because it is our great joy and aim to see this church united and faithfully pushing toward the prize that is Christ. And so as we look at these qualifications for elders, as we consider them, it is vitally important that we remember a few things. First, we are all dependent on Christ. We are all looking to him who is our head and he is the only ultimate authority of the church. 
This is what I think is often missed. This is not the elder's church. This is Christ's church. He is its head. He is its authority. He is its ruler and he is its chief shepherd. And as your elders, it is our eager aim to ever constantly point you to him because he is the only one worthy of infinite submission. We long to be faithful. And I plead with you, pray for us as we make this our aim. 